0: My name is Kayla Cook. I have been at this church most of my life. Um, (laughs) um, I've, I was away at school for a few years, so I don't count those, but then I came back, boomerang back and here we are. Um, I work here on staff at the church. I do a lot of stuff. I've probably answered the phone if you've called at some point. Um, And I help with the youth. So again, with the youth, shameless plug, I love working with the youth. I love the opportunity and I think You guys would love to get involved as well. I know a couple of you are kind of already starting to get involved with that, so it's awesome, but great opportunity to love on those kids and raise up the next generation for Christ, so shameless plug for that. Um, And I have a heart for missions, which I'm hoping we can get something going this year, next year, and with the way the Lord leads. Hopefully, we'll see. Um, If you guys don't know, we have uh, Rick and Christy Barnett here from our sister church in Okinawa, Visiting right now, so I think they'll be here on Sunday, right? And you can see, oh, maybe not, maybe not. Okay, um, they'll be back. They'll be back in the area at the end of June. So if you get a chance to see them while they're here, then say hi and make them feel welcome. Um, so let's pray, and then we'll get right into it. Lord, um, I just thank you so much for today, this day that you've made, and um, we rejoice and we're glad in it, and we thank you for this opportunity to open up your Word and to dive into the Book of James and to continue to learn about um, practical application for Christian living and um, specifically talking about faith and works tonight, Lord, just be with us in this discussion and conversation and um, just lead this Bible study and um, give us wisdom as we are um, diving into your word and give me the right words to speak so that it's just what you want to say. And thank you for the worship that we just had. And we love you and give you the glory for tonight. Jesus name. Amen. All right. Um, how many of you guys like Christmas time? Some of us, ah, some people are like, eh, whatever. Um, <laughs> just, just Jesus, birth, whatever. Um, so there's a song that Hillsong came out with a few years ago called Arrival. Have you guys heard of that or know of that song? Um, it's a beautiful song. I love it. And so, um, I'm just going to read the lyrics to a few of it, a few of the lyrics right here. Um, and it's kind of, kind of pertain to what we're talking about tonight. Um, So it's called Arrival, and it says, Who is God that he would take our frame? The artisan inside the paint. Oh, breathe the very air his breath sustains. The architect inside the plan. The one who has no start and knows no end became confined in time and tense. The everlasting God, the great I am, in the mercy of a mother's hands. The one who holds the stars in the creases of his hands is the one who holds my heart like a mother once held him the one who knows what lies, where space has run its course, embraced a baby's mind, and now I can know my God. And then in the chorus it says, oh come now, hail his arrival, the God of creation, royalty robed in the flesh he created. Jesus the maker has made himself known, all hail the infinite infant God. And I'm like, oh, I get goosebumps and start shaking. I'm like, those lyrics are so powerful, thinking about how God came down in flesh and, like, took on a baby's mind and a baby's manners and a baby's habits and, like, entrusted himself to, like, a teenage girl to be his mother and, like, and a surrogate father with Joseph. And I'm just like, it's that's crazy. But um, for a moment, I want you to just think and imagine if Jesus had never come. I know it's it's kind of a heavy thing to think about. We don't even want to go there in our minds sometimes. But imagine we have the Bible as we have it, except for the New Testament, and we're living in the times when Jesus had never come down onto earth. So in that world, we're all Jewish if we're we're on track with the same God, right? And we're living under the law, and we're still waiting for our Messiah. We're still hoping that he's going to come someday. Imagine that being in that ideology and that mindset in the world we live in right now and and how hard and heavy and difficult that would be just okay but don't worry someday the messiah is going to come he's going to save us from all this and that's how they live in in israel right now the jewish people they're like oh it's so bad but don't worry the messiah is going to come he's going to liberate us politically and is that what we need in america do we need to be liberated politically or is it spiritually there's a spiritual depravity here right so what we're talking about is in today is james chapter 2 you could turn your bibles there Um, And we're going to be in verses 14 through 26. Now the reason I brought that up and the reason I want to talk about that is um, we're going to be talking about um, faith and works, Um, and mostly how faith without works is dead. And so um, it's kind of like putting your money where your mouth is, right? Like that's one of the things we say, or like put your feet to your faith. There needs to be action behind what we say and do. And so um, that's what we're going to be talking about today. So we're going to start in verse 15 and we'll finish in verse 26 and I'm reading out of the New King James Version. It says, what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say to you, "'You have faith, and I have works. "'Show me your faith without your works, "'and I will show you my faith by my works. "'You believe that there is one God. "'You do well. "'Even the demons believe and tremble. "'Was not Abraham...' "'Oh, sorry. um, "'But do you want to know, O foolish man, "'that faith without works is dead? "'Was not Abraham our father justified by works "'when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? "'Do you not see that faith was working together "'with his works?' And by works, faith was made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which said, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man's justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also." So today I want to discuss two very important sides of these verses with you, and we're going to talk about um, two important aspects of our Christian walk. The first is talking the talk, and the second is walking the walk. Talking the talk, walking the walk. Pretty easy, hopefully easy to remember. Um, So, But first, before we get started, we need to ask, what is faith? So faith is different from belief, which is defined as an acceptance that a statement is true or that something exists or basically an acknowledgment of reality. Like, you see that the sky is blue, that's reality. I have belief that the sky is blue. Hopefully all of us believe that the sky is blue. If not, we'll have a discussion later. But, um, so that's what belief is, and it's different from faith. Now, in Hebrews 11, verse one, uh, faith is defined by, it says, uh, now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So you have hope and you have evidence to get working together. So it's not just the evidence, which the sky is blue. There's also hope working alongside with it. Um, Hebrews 11.6 says that without faith, it is impossible to please him, talking about God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, that he exists, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So it's not religious, but it's a relationship. And what makes our faith different from all other faiths? It's, it's that relational aspect. And we talk about that a lot around here. Like, there's a relationship. It's not just religious. It's a relationship. And so um, page 145 of our book has this quote. It says, <laughs> the devil is perfectly willing for a person to profess Christianity so long as he doesn't practice it. And I think that that is crazy powerful. Um, there's actually, um, I want to talk about. Uh, American Christianity specifically. So if you're from another country or whatever, then I don't know what your country's like. I'm sorry. I'm just talking to Americans here today. But the first thing we want to focus on is, um, like I said, talking the talk. And so what does that look like for us? I think there's a huge difference between intellectual belief and active faith. Uh, And so we're going to be looking at, um, real quick, there's going to be some um, slides behind me um, a Barna poll. If you guys know Barna, they do some, um, statistics and polls and stuff. So they did one in 2015 and they asked the question, what do Americans believe about Jesus? So the first thing that they found was that the vast majority of Americans believe that Jesus was a real person, as you can see behind me. Nine out of 10 believe that he was a real person, whereas, uh, 85% of millennials believe that he was a real person. Uh, the second is the younger generations are increasingly less likely to believe that Jesus was God. Um, 56% of adults believe that Jesus was God, while well, about 26 say that he was only a religious or spiritual leader like Muhammad or Buddha. Uh, the remaining 18% say that they weren't sure whether Jesus was divine. The third thing that this study found was Americans are divided on whether Jesus was sinless. of Americans believe that Jesus committed sins during his early life. I don't know if that's like when he was a teenager, junior higher, I don't know, but um, that's not true. Uh, The next thing, uh, most Americans say they have made a commitment to Jesus Christ. It's about 6 out of 10 Americans uh, have confessed their sinfulness and professed faith in Christ. There's all the demographics. Um, And lastly, it says that people are conflicted between whether Jesus and good deeds were the way to get to heaven. Among adults who have made a personal commitment to Jesus, so it's specifically Christians in this poll who said, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus, most also believe that Jesus is the way to heaven. When given several beliefs about the afterlife to choose from, 63% of those who have made a personal commitment to Jesus say that they believe that after they die they'll go to heaven because they have confessed their sins and accepted jesus as their savior two percent of adults who report a personal commitment to jesus say they will not go to heaven 15 percent admit that they do not know what will happen after that after they die and that's christians so that's not just americans that's specifically professing christians so The study concluded that there isn't much argument about whether Jesus Christ was actually a historical person, but nearly everything else about his life generates enormous debate. This study also showed that the extent of Christian commitment in the nation, more than 150 million Americans say that they have professed faith in Christ. This impressive number begs the question of how well this commitment is expressed. As much of our previous research shows, Americans' dedication to Jesus is, in most cases, a mile wide and an inch deep. That was what the Barnes study res- concluded, which is really sad and heartbreaking if you think about the state of our nation right now. So having an intellectual knowledge about Jesus, knowing who he is, believing he existed, and that he lived a sinless life or a sinful life, whatever they believe, is not enough to go to heaven. It, it does not indicate that that person knows Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. Just acknowledging the fact that he walked this earth does not mean that you're going to heaven. That's, that's kind of a heavy statement to, to sit with. Um, and so what does that look like with faith, and how does this live out in our lives? So what we believe or disbelieve about Jesus will dictate how we live our lives, and it couldn't be more evident what our nation believes than just looking around the world today. Looking around the world today, you have anxiety and depression levels that have surpassed that of the 1950s asylum um, people that were committed to asylums. You have um, a suicide rate that's higher than ever, especially in the younger generations, 18 to I think 35 right now is the highest um, one of the highest cause of deaths. I think it's the top one of the top three cause of death is suicide um, in that generation. And so. Um, and you see the enemy's widespread attack on the younger generations is more fierce than ever. We just had a conference here this weekend. Um, our friend Patty Height came out and talked about um, biblical gender and sexuality and what that looks like. And the numbers she gave were just staggering. I was like, I don't want to wake up tomorrow. I just want to go home, go to bed, and go be with Jesus. Like, I don't want to have to live life on this earth anymore. Sometimes you can lose heart as a Christian. You're like, oh, it's just so hopeless. <laughs> like, what are we doing here? And that is reflecting that that is a reflection of what people believe about Jesus, whether they acknowledge that or not. Like the way that we live our lives, the way that we act, is based on what we believe about Jesus. So, um, the first few verses in James chapter two and the statistics that we just saw bring up two common misconceptions about good works in relation to faith. First, there are many people who think that they must earn their way to salvation um, through good works, and Like, I need to do good things in order to get to heaven, in order to get saved. And then they miss James chapter 2, verse 10, which we talked about last week when we were talking about partiality, um, which says, uh, whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. So it's impossible to reach God on our own strength. That's what, across the gospels, across the epistles, Old Testament, New Testament, we can't do it on our own. We need Jesus. We need his help. So... We are not saved by our own works and by our own attempts to reach God on our own strength and ability. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And it is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a a result of works so that no one may boast. So just knowing the truth is not enough, right? And earning your way is not an option. So what do we do? I think i like to think about the thief on the cross who is next to jesus and he said in luke 24 or sorry 23 verse 42 uh, he said to jesus lord remember me when you come into your kingdom and imagine if he had only thought those words and never said them out loud first of all they wouldn't have been written down in the bible we wouldn't you would just be like there's two thieves on the cross that got killed next to jesus cool end of right but praise god that guy opened his mouth and he said lord Acknowledging who Jesus is, Lord, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. And, it, you know, Jesus' response is very notable. In verse uh, 43, he says, truly I tell you today, today you will be with me in paradise. So he had to speak those words, first of all, in order to receive a response. So we're talking about talking the talk, right? Um, in Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, it says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead you will be saved for with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So those two things work together, right? It's the thief didn't have to come down off the cross and get baptized, right? Jesus wasn't like, oh, I know we're hanging here, man, but if you just get down, go find some water, you'll be good and I'll see you soon. (laughs) I'll see you up in heaven. Like, no, he wasn't like, oh, you weren't baptized. Oh no. Or he He's like, first, you need to do a good work. <laughs> you need to, you know, he's, he, that's not what he said. He said, your belief, his belief was enough, right? Your belief in your heart, but also saying it out loud, that is what, what gave him salvation. So he, he's with Jesus right now. We'll, we'll go see him. I have some questions. I'd like to talk to him when we get there. But I'm just like, what was that like? <laughs> There's your Savior right there. I don't know. It'd be kind of cool. So we can't reach God on our own. And that's why he sent his son Jesus to reach us that while we were still sinners, Um, He was sent to die for us. He chose to die for us, as Romans 5.8 says. Um, And then he rose from the dead to prove his power over death. So we are not saved by our works, but we are saved to do good works. That's a very important distinction. Our works don't save us, but works will be a result once we get saved. So if that thief had lived for some reason and, you know, come off the cross, his life should have produced works after that. should have produced fruit. Um, But... You know, that's not requirement to go to heaven. So um, belief must be joined together with action, specifically the action of speaking and confessing. Our faith demands a, a response, is basically what James is trying to say. So the second misconception about good works that I want to talk about um, in regards to faith, it comes with those who claim to be Christians but act like the devil. I know, that sounds like very strong language. It's not my language. It's Jesus' words. Um, And I'm not out here being like, ah, yeah, you're a Christian, but you're acting like the devil. Um, That was what Jesus was talking to the Pharisees about. That's what he said specifically to them. In uh, John chapter 8, verses 31 through 59, I'm not going to go through all that, but I encourage you guys to look into it and read that discourse is very (laughs) shocking. He's talking with the religious leaders. So it would be like coming to the pastors of the day. There's a pastor's conference and Jesus walks in and he's like, you're from your father, the devil. And they're like, um... (laughs) what? No, we're over here doing the Lord's work, don't you know? And he's like, I am the Lord. So it's a great conversation between Jesus and the Pharisees, which really puts his deity on display. So I think that it'd be great, be very beneficial to go and read through that. But Jesus confronts the Pharisees in their desire to kill him while still hypocritically claiming to be God or children of Abraham, to which Jesus responds, you are of your father, the devil. Why? Would he say that, first of all? Um, They were talking about physical descendants, but Jesus was talking about their spiritual heritage, right? There's the verse right there. Um, Because of their desires and their actions spoke of where they were from, right? They were of their father. They are doing the work of their father, like Jesus did the work of his father. They were doing the work of of the devil. So their faith was dead, um, unlike Abraham's, and their murderous actions proved what they believed, right? So your faith... Will be followed by action so they didn't have faith and it was followed by death and if you do have faith it should produce life Um, in james chapter 2 verses 15 and 16 we see an example of dead faith the verses we just read earlier suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say goodbye and have a good day stay warm eat well but then you don't give that person any food or clothing what good does that do does that help anyone you're like ah i see a need I think the book did a great job of that it says like there's a group that got together to pray and then this kid knocks on the door he's like hey my dad sent me over here with a wagon full of prayers to help the family we're praying for and they're like what And they go outside and it's like all these baked goods and clothing and they're like oh the things we're praying for we could be the prayer we could meet that need ourselves so yes there is a a time and a place to pray but also a time and a place to act so i thought that was a really good um visual of that And it talks about how, um, in verse, uh, sorry, page 137 of the book says, Jesus takes it personally when the poor are neglected. And that's a powerful reminder, I think, to look um, after those who are in need. Faith, or uh, rather belief, in and of itself is dead merely believing in god does not result in a changed life as james 2:19 says even the demons acknowledge god's existence and they tremble in fear of him they know who god is but they're not saved because their actions don't show a changed life they live in rebellion to god and um, in luke 8:28, 28 um, the demons called jesus the son of the most high god but they continue to walk in rebellion to him they don't ever like oh you're god i'm sorry i'm turning from this i'm not going to You know, continue to kill, steal, and destroy, as my agenda says for the day. Like, I'm just going to be loving and kind. No, they don't ever turn from their ways. So that, that faith is dead as well. It's not faith, it's belief. They know who he is. So we can't afford to be lazy, apathetic, rebellious, or uncompassionate Christian women. If we truly believe in Jesus and we believe he is who he says he is, then our lives will reflect that through obedience. In Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27, Jesus says, Therefore, whoever hears these things of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these things of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell and great was its fall. So faith and works are inseparable in the kingdom of God. You can't break the two apart. They, they work in conjunction with each other. Works without faith is useless and self-focused, and faith without works is dead. So what does it mean to live out our faith? That's going to be, we're looking more at the second half. That was talking the talk, and now we're going to look at walking the walk. So, yes, we need to confess Jesus as our Savior, and we need to make sure that others know that as well. But then walking in, in that, what does that look like, walking the walk? So we have these two examples of Abraham and Rahab, and I'll get into that in a bit. It's really awesome. Actually, I love, the, I love both of them. But um, first thing, true faith in God will naturally produce good works, actions showing trust in God so our actions will show our trust in god abraham's relationship with god was pretty unique Um, he's called a friend of god he's called god's friend in verse 23 but also in second chronicles 20 verse 7 um, it's actually jehoshaphat who's speaking and he says he's talking to god asking for deliverance and help and he says are you not our god who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people israel and gave it to the descendants of abraham your friend forever and I was always jealous that Abraham was called God's friend. I'm like, I want God to call me his friend. Because you could say, like, God's my friend all day long, but if he calls you his friend back, like, that only happens one time in the Bible. It's, it's Abraham. And I'm like, man, I want to be that guy's friend, too. I want God to call me my his friend. And, um, so in ancient times, true friendship was marked by two things. It was marked by honest and straightforward language, so communication. Um, a willingness, and the second was a, a willingness to die for a friend, which seems kind of dramatic. There's not many people that come to mind we are like, I would die for that person, you know? Um, so it was more like the, the Roman soldier's mindset. Like, of course I would die for my friend. Like, we're in combat together. And um, because we don't have, um, you're not, we all haven't done military service here. We can't really understand the concept of, yeah, of course I'll jump in front of a bullet for that friend. But back then, this, this language would have resonated with them. Um, friends should openly tell each other um, what's going on in their lives and communication and action should be working together was the idea um, but to die for a friend seems kind of radical I think for us today and so when Jesus said in John 15 15 he calls his disciples his friends he says no longer do I call you servants for a servant does not know what his master is doing but I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my father I have made known to you the fourth uh, century theologian ambrose said this of john 15:15, 15, 15, a friend hides nothing if he is true he pours forth his mind just as the lord jesus poured forth the mysteries of his father and i love that because up until this point like no one knew what the father looked like like only moses had seen god face to face right and abraham had walked with the lord and you have enoch who walked with god and then he was not I can't wait to talk to him. Also, another guy I would like to talk to up in heaven. Just got a list going. But um, uh, yeah, so it's like you have these examples where God made himself known. But for the vast majority of people, they didn't know who God was. They didn't know. All they knew was they had to appease him. They had to sacrifice to him. They had to do all these requirements in order to reach him. And Jesus tells them, he's like, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. I am the image of the invisible God. And so you look at Jesus' life and you're like, that, that's who God is. And that's just, that's humbling and incredible. And that man made 12 friends while he was here on earth. Like, I don't know how many friends we all have in this room, but I'm like, hey, if I got 12, we're looking good. The older you get, the fewer it becomes. But um, yeah, it's just, I love that. And so um, looking at what that means specifically, Abraham being God's friend, you could look at Genesis 18. Um, The Lord says he's kind of talking to himself and he's like, should I hide from Abraham what I'm doing? He's like, for I have known him in order that he may command his children that they may keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and judgment. Verses 17 and 19. So God tells Abraham that he plans to investigate this cry that has come up from Sodom and Gomorrah. He's like, I've heard bad things about that city. It's so bad. I need to judge it. Like, I can't just let it go on anymore. And so he's like, I'm going to go check it out. And um, so he's like, should I tell Abraham what I'm going to do? Like, should I tell my friend what I'm planning to do? Especially his nephew lives there in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. You're like, oh, I guess I should tell him. And so it's kind of an interesting verse, because Abraham, it says, stood before the Lord. Like, he stood in front of him. He kind of, he's like, hey, hey, God, hey, where are you going? What are you doing? And God's like, well, I'm going to go investigate all this stuff that's coming up to me about Sodom and Gomorrah. abraham is friends with god so he knows what he's thinking he's like oh so you're going to wipe it off the face of the earth okay uh cool he's like well um would you save the city for 50 righteous people and god's thinking and he's like yeah of course if there's 50 people i won't destroy the city and so he's like okay okay bear with me i love you we're friends we're, we're good we're good but what about if it's 45 people and he's like Yes, Abraham, I'll spare the cities for 45 people. And he goes, okay, okay, okay. Well, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Just hear me out. What if it's 40 people? And God's like, yep, for 40, I still wouldn't destroy the whole city. He's like, okay, okay. I'm like, just, just do this, bear with me. Uh, what about 30 people? God's like, yep, I won't destroy the entire city of Las Vegas for 30 people. And he's like, Okay um, bear with me. I'm so sorry. Thank you for your patience. I love you. We're buddies, you're homies. How about for 20 people? And God's like, yeah, I wouldn't destroy the city for 20 people. And he's like, okay, last time, I promise. How about for 10 people? And God says, yep, if we can find 10 people, I will not destroy the entire city. And so Abraham goes, all right, cool. Love you. See you later. (laughs) Bye-bye. And God walks off. And as you know, he can't even find 10 people. He finds a lot, the one guy. And when they show up, you know, you can read the whole story, Genesis 18. Um, so he, he's like, okay, I got one guy, Ugh, and I made a promise with Abraham. If it was ten, maybe we can count his wife. I don't think so personally, but you know, <laughs> the two are one in my mind. But uh. anyways, he's like, well, kind of one person, and then Lots like grabs his two daughters and runs. So that's three people, and and God's like, hey, go run, don't even look back. And they're like, phew, 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 gone. And the wife's like but my friends she's like salt so (laughs) you guys there's the whole story the the short version of it but um anyways i don't know how i got off track (laughs) sorry anyways abraham and god they're friends they're good um so just i love that camaraderie like that the lord is willing to bargain with him because like you look at that and some people say like oh god god is immovable and he is yes of course he is and his plans are going to prosper but God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So he's willing to meet us where we're at. And he's like, okay, if we could just find 10 people, that's great. I want to destroy the whole city. And yet he couldn't even find 10. So I love that picture of, um, of his friendship with Abraham right there. And um, not only did God speak to Abraham as his friend, but in Galatians 3.6, James 2.23, um, it says that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So it wasn't that Abraham was perfect, that he was sinless, that he was a good man. He just believed God. When God's like, "Hey, take your wife named Sarah, 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 Sarah um, Sarai at the time, which means princess." He's like, "Take your wife, princess, and go out to the middle of the desert." And he's like, "Cool, <laughs> come on, babe." And she's like, mm, "Yeah, great." So that and he believed God, and he took his wife, his family, all of his possessions. He was like the richest guy ever, and he takes out in the middle of the wilderness. He's like, "What do you want to say?" So that is what accounted him as righteousness. He was obedient. He followed the Lord no matter where he called him. And so that's a really beautiful picture of his faith. Um, It's not just a matter of believing something. It also involves a commitment to helping others and living out your faith in a practical way. So we can't talk about faith without looking into the hall of faith found in Hebrews chapter 11. So if you guys have your Bibles, you can turn them over to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to kind of be jumping around here, but I'll be directing you at the verses we're looking at. Um, It talks about Abraham and many others as well. So Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to start in verses 8 and 9. It says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him, Of the same promise and then you skip down a little bit to verse 12 and we're going to go to 16. therefore from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars in the sky a multitude innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore these all died in faith not having received the promises but having seen them afar off were assured of them embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth For those who say such things declare that they plainly seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. I want to stop right there for a second. Um, That's kind of a crazy concept that God's like, hey, I'm going to call you out. I'm going to pull you into the wilderness. I'm going to give you this city. Um, and you're never going to see the fulfillment of, of this promise. How many of you guys would sign up for that? <laughs> nah, nah, nobody. Um, and it's not even his kids that get to see it. Not even his grandkids. It's like great, 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 great. And then you get to Joshua and you're like, oh, cool, they're starting to make some progress and headway. And then it's like, you know, they have like a detour over here, detour over there. It's just this whole journey. but they believe God, even though they didn't get to the end, they didn't see the promise fulfilled, they didn't get to see Jesus, their Messiah. We have the benefit of hindsight. Looking back, we're like, absolutely, God fulfilled his promise above and beyond anything we could ask or imagine. But they kept going, they kept taking steps of faith, never having seen the promise, all the way to the end of their life. And I think about Abraham, like, God made that promise to him, he was like, what, 60? And he had a baby when he's 100, so that's like, what, 40 years of waiting for a promise? I wouldn't wait five minutes for a promise to be filled. I'm like, you do it now. But he waited for years and 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 years, tried to do it on his own, failed miserably, and was like, okay, sorry, that's not going to work. And then God's like, oh, you're basically dead. Okay, here, we're going to have your wife have a baby. Great timing! Like, imagine being 100 years old. and The baby wakes you up. Ah, oh, go feed the baby. <laughs> You're like, oh, my hip! You know, I don't know. But it's just like I—it's—it's it's crazy to think about. Like that—that's—they waited for the full fulfillment of that, and they didn't even get to see the the promise to the end. And and the, I love that in verse 15. It's like if they thought about like going back home, they could have gone back home and like to a different country. But they desired something better something that God had promised, and they were walking in that direction. And so God is not ashamed to be called their God, and I hope that that could be said of us as well, that he's not ashamed to be called our God. Verses uh, 30 through 38, we'll finish um, Hebrews with this. It says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, and yes, of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn and chewed, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword. They wandered around in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy." That's quite an extensive list. Um, I wouldn't sign up for that if someone's like, hey, this is the list to to be a Christian. This is the requirements. This is what you're going to have to do. There there wouldn't be any Christians left in the world Um, if we didn't have a promise that outweighed those things, right? If we didn't have the hope of eternity, if we didn't have Jesus coming in the flesh and living these things out before us and saying, if I could do it, you could do it too. And so I love that because it shows that their faith was boldly lived out through those actions that are mentioned in those verses. Jesus in John 15, verse 14 said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Which commandments is Jesus talking about? Well, in John 13, a few chapters before, he commands the disciples and us today um, to serve one another, to love one another as he loved us, and to have faith in God. And it comes with a promise. He doesn't just say, hey, good luck, do it. Um, He promises that the helper, his Holy Spirit, is going to come and help us and enable us to walk in obedience. So it's not just, I gotta do this on my own. I hope I live a good Christian life. If you're not walking in the spirit, that's how it's gonna feel. You're gonna feel like you're striving. Um, You could read through Galatians chapter five, and it talks about the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And it's just one. It says the fruit of the spirit, one fruit. And all of that is produced by walking in the spirit. It's not like, oh, I'm just feeling gentle today, but don't have any self-control. No, all of those things work in conjunction with your faith, and those are lived out when you walk in the spirit. And so um, thank God for the Holy Spirit that enables us to walk in obedience. Um, next, I want to kind of take a look. We're shifting a little bit from Abraham to Rahab. So why is Rahab, her, um, her story is found in Joshua 2, 8 through 13, if you're looking. Um, you can look it up later. Um, she's mentioned right after Abraham, both in James two and in Hebrews eleven. Talks about Abraham then it talks about Rahab, in a passage that immediately follows a discussion on partiality. Do you think that it might have had something to do with the contrast between Abraham, who is known as the father of faith, he was Jewish, righteous man, and Rahab, who is a prostitute, a Gentile, and worst of all, a woman. Back in the day <laughs> I was a joke sorry too a little too uh, heavy there <laughs> yeah. no she she was not she was not looked well upon, especially by the Jews in this time, especially by the men who were teaching these they would have been like, and Abraham, the father of Abraham and Rahab the prostitute but God, Abraham, you know like all the focus was on Abraham, the father of faith, but you don't say like oh we are children of Rahab the prostitute like that, that doesn't go over well in a Jewish uh, conversation so Why is she mentioned in the same verses as abraham galatians 3 28 says there is neither jew nor greek slave nor free male or or female you are all one in christ jesus so you look at those two examples and god values their faith equally he's like yes this man who left everything to follow me and yes this woman who had a horrendous past and was like, okay, do I want to go on the sinking ship of Jericho or like maybe throw in my lot with these this other god that I don't know and I just hope can can save me. And it's kind of like a shaky faith at best, where she's like, Yeah, I hope this works out for me. And, oh, it did work out. Praise God, now I'm like in the lineage of the Messiah. That's, you know, those are the two contrasts, the, the solid faith over many years and the split decision faith that just happens in a moment, right? Those two both have equal access to Jesus Christ by their faith. And they're both called to be obedient, and they both led with their feet. They walked the walk, so to speak, and they talked the talk. Um, God values both of their faith equally. They both received salvation and a promise from God that was fulfilled in their descendant, Jesus. Jesus came from both Abraham and from Rahab, which I think is so awesome. Their faith was backed up by their action and their obedience and faithfulness to God's own special people. The message version, I don't know if you guys have ever heard the message version of the Bible. People kind of like make fun of it because it's a little bit hippie-ish, but I like it because it's a simple way to to read the Bible and to understand more as a commentary than as like, you know, God's word. But it's a version of the Bible called the message. And in verses uh, 25 and 26 of James chapter 2, it says, the same with Rahab, the Jericho harlot, wasn't her action in hiding God's spies and helping them escape that seamless unity of believing and doing that's what counted with god the very moment that you separate body and spirit you end up with a corpse separate faith and works and you get the same thing a corpse so you can't have both of this you can't have both separate from each other they work together faith and works And Rahab is an excellent example of faith in action. Her good works saved many lives and advanced God's plans and purposes and his people. Our book says on page 153 that she risked everything she had, including her life, to pave the way for others to enter God's kingdom. And that should be our same goal as well. So the last thing I wanted to touch on, um, why do good works matter? You're like, do I need to go out and feed homeless people? Do I have to go donate to my local charity? What do good works look like in our lives? Um, Good works aren't just to make us feel nice, Um, there's a purpose for good works, so I want to touch on a few of those, and I'm just going to go through them quickly. Um, The first is to glorify God, ultimately. Matthew 6, 16 says, In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. The second is to show yourself fit for service. 1 Timothy 5.10 says she must be well-respected by everyone because of the good that she has done. Has she brought up her children well? Has she been kind to strangers and served other believers humbly? Has she helped those who are in trouble? Has she always been ready to do good? And those are qualifications for leaders. Um, The third is to enrich your own life. 1 Timothy 6.18, let them do good that they may be rich in good works, ready to give and willing to share next is to give a pattern for imitation this is titus verse two or chapter two verse seven in all things show yourself to be a pattern of good works in doctrine showing integrity reverence incorruptibility um, and next is to stir up others to love and to their own tasks that's hebrews ten twenty four. and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works and lastly, to demonstrate the reality of faith and give a good witness for God. Um, that's First Peter 2, verse 12, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of his visitation. So ladies, we can't afford to have dead faith. I'm so sorry. We need to look at the world around us today and see that it is dying. It's in desperate need of resurrection and true life, which is only found in Jesus Christ. In a world that is becoming darker every day, our light needs to shine more brightly. So how can you exercise this faith? Um, There are three different opportunities. The First is the ministry of family. Everyone has family. We've all been trusted with family. Brothers, sisters, parents, grandparents, nieces, nephews, husbands, children. Look for opportunity to display Christ's love And serve your family without complaining and without resentment and with joy. Just as Jesus, our ultimate example, did in washing the feet of the disciples in John 13 and in Matthew 26, this was his last night on earth. If I told you tonight's your last night on earth, what are you going to go do? I'm like i'm gonna go find some ice cream <laughs> definitely <laughs> um but the, what jesus was doing he sat down and he did the job of a slave he washed the disciples feet he's like okay i'm gonna you know i'm gonna ta- serve you guys and i'm gonna share my time with you i'm gonna eat a meal with you guys he spent time with the people that he loved and he served them even in his final moments on the cross he takes care of his mother he's like all right john take care of my mom and mother behold your son that's your son now so he's looking for uh, out for the uh, for his family for the other people around him the second is at church we have a church we are here at church if you're online you can come to church we are here um we have about 30 ministries listed on our church website you guys can go on our website and look i encourage you to get involved serve in your gifts and in your capacity um, the lord will use and honor your faithfulness to his people just as he did with rahab so there's ample opportunity you can call the church office and kelly and i'll answer the phone or Dree, whoever's there and We will help you get involved there's a form online areas to serve get involved if you have free time get involved um lastly is in the spheres of your own influence so do you work with a bunch of heathens i i I, was kind of i don't know if that was a genuine question or a joke but (laughs) i am kind of jealous because you have a daily opportunity to show the love of christ i i'm so blessed to work here at church and i love it but like at times, I'm like, I wish I had the opportunity to love on and to demonstrate Christ's love to my coworkers that I see in, and in day in and day out. And I do. I hope I do that here. Too. I hope I do that here too. But I mean, um, being a witness to those um, unbelievers is just such a unique um, experience that I get kind of get jealous of sometimes. Um, I just think about Jesus' radical example in Matthew chapter 5, like he says in a time when it was like, oh, if someone knocks out your tooth, you get to knock out their tooth. If someone knocks out your eye, you knock out their eye. And Jesus is like, "Um, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That's like, yeah, sign me up. (laughs) Absolutely. Again, no, that's not something that we would sign up for or volunteer for. But reach out to those that God puts in your life, even if they get on your nerves, even if they don't know the Lord, um, and show them what it means to live for him. So we need to put our faith to work. Um, Thinking about that song um, of the arrival that I talked about earlier, um, I love that God promised it, Jesus delivered it, and the Holy Spirit is the guarantee that everything that Jesus said he will do. And our job in the here and now is to live in such a way that we actually believe that to be true. So, um, I think that's it. And then you guys can go ahead and get in your groups and I'll come back up and pray and do announcements afterwards, all right.